welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. And we're live. That's your that's your sign in. I used it. Ooh, we are live. Welcome back to Knock On Podcast number one ninety nine. Dude. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> We're driving southbound in California right now with a Yeti full of uh bull elk and a tripan that went literally through the dead. Did we center. leave the tripan on his car or did we take it? I don't know. I'm not going to do everything. I left it on his, uh, his, I'll have him send it to me. I mean, how sweet was, gosh, that thing worked. (laughs) That was, I can't even believe what happened happened. We're driving back uh, right from the hunt happened today. I shot that elk at 2 o'clock. It's now 7.15. So it was just five hours ago. That it went down five hours ago doesn't seem real. It took. Well, what was cool is that you had your heart monitor on for your sober October contest. <laughs> I told you, I'm like, you, I'm like, we're working out, man. These hills, it's yeah. definitely going to be a workout. You need to wear it. Like if we're if we end up doing 12 miles like we had in some days in Utah. Yeah. Um. Well, we did 11 was our longest, I think, wasn't it? No, one day we did do 12. Oh, we did? Maybe, maybe it wasn't with you, but um, but I did I did 12 with Colton. Y- yeah, and I think you and I did right at 11. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I'm like, where your, your dang monitor? Yeah, and so I wore the monitor today, and I got 600 and something points. <laughs> it was a lot of points. <laughs> it was awesome. We, last night we went out. Uh, and spotted some spotted some bulls from a long way off, and by the time we kind of got into the middle of them, we were. I don't know. I I kind of told you. I said it's night one. We don't want to end up busting a bull in here right at last last light. Let's just ease out of here because it would have been a full ordeal to get that thing out of that canyon, all that stuff. So the next, in the morning, um, Steve, who's your guide, um, he pretty much said we were going to go to a new area where they had seen a kind of a loner bull. And we went over there, and sure enough, we found him at first light. But how far do you think he was up that mountain when we first saw him? Um, Mile and a half? He was pretty far up there. Yeah. I w- yeah, I would About guess a mile, a, m- and a half. mile and a half. Straight up. Straight up and bald. I'm yeah. talking a bald hill. Yeah, like my head. <laughs> very <laughs> little coverage. Yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, It was getting to him would have been impossible. So we, we decided we'd let him set and we'll go see if we find another one. And then we found another one, made a stalk on him, went straight up this mountain. Pretty. How far did we go up? I think it was right at like just under three thousand feet. Yeah, is so what elevation we climbed. So it was a good hike. That it was, was a good hike. 
three well we didn't get down from that hunt until 10 so it was at least a three hour three hour deal yeah it got me a lot of fitness points and we <laughs> what did we get 70 yards from that one yeah in the range of 70 yards he and was behind uh over the crest of a hill behind a rock and a tree chasing um a cow and uh we think they winded us somewhere along the line yeah, the wind was swirly. It was that time of... All this is important. I'm actually trying to lead into something that's going to help listeners because, you know, certain times of the day, um, conditions are more favorable. They're more predictable. And when you're going after elk on a mountain at first light, you're really jeopardizing what your wind's going to do from when you're going to like a transition period where it might get a little unstable to then it totally flips 180 degrees. And if you're not able to get on the bull fast enough, then you could end up blowing the whole thing out, which is kind of what happened to us. We were moving as fast as we could to at least stay, I guess, at a comfort level uh, uh, cardiovascularly and so that you could make a shot like we weren't go you couldn't just rush up this mile and a half mountain and get up there and your heart's blown out of your chest we were going at a pretty good pace that our calves would allow my calves were were pumped yours you mine told are me. so blown out <laughs> because i've been doing this sober october fitness challenge so today's day 17 say the 16th or 17th 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 i think the 17th so it's been 17 days of two plus hours of working out a day some days four hours it's very competitive man it's cra it's crazy how serious everybody's taking this like ari and well ari was in the lead until today <laughs> yeah i took him out of the lead just by hiking because <laughs> we're doing it for five and a half hours um but uh everybody is very very competitive so everybody was within a hundred or so points from each other and um, until today, yeah, until today, I blew it out today. Today, I'm like 400 points ahead. <laughs> but it was um, everybody's doing like two and three hour workouts a day. It's really it's quite brutal, and my calves are destroyed because a lot of what I've been doing is running, running hills, and uh, running with my dog, and doing the elliptical machine, which is also uh, heavy on the calves. Because I could just do the elliptical machine and watch movies. That's what I've been doing. Just we did two hours, and you set your alarm off in your house from your sweat, from your steam. Yeah, that's the craziest thing ever. I set my fire alarm off with sweat from my body, <laughs> which I've never even heard anybody doing before. That might be that might be a first. Well, that mountain was straight up this morning. Yeah. Bull number one. Well, it was technically bull number two. We left bull number one, and this is kind of getting, yeah. slowly getting around to some educational stuff. But the reason we bypassed that first bull was, one, the bull was bedded, and he hadn't got up and started moving yet for the day. He was in the wide open. It was a super low percentage opportunity, and... For any of you who have hunted like mule deer or elk or mature whitetails, you know, a lot of times you have one opportunity. And if you blow it on a low percentage opportunity, then that's just a, that's a poor gamble, I think. Unless you're in desperation mode, that's a poor gamble on your end. 
you know, we were at the front end of your hunt, so we didn't want to ruin the hunt by blowing a herd bull off the mountain over onto a neighboring property or something. So we just decided to to leave there, let him kind of get up and do his thing with his with his cows for the day and hope that he moved into a position that would be more favorable for a stock because we could keep you know we could find them with a spotting scope just because it's pretty open here they move into these draws and you can find them under some random shade trees and stuff certainly where he was yeah where There's he was some areas that are a little denser and harder to get to where we were the first night you yeah. wouldn't find a bull in there right. like we would hear some bulls but we had to get very close to see what they actually were but the the bull that we we're talking about he was in the wide open like, as a bow hunter it would easily be something that could be discouraging where you'd say how in the heck am i going to get to that so yeah. we bypassed that bull tried to find another one which we did and went after that one and Ended up taking so long to get to him because of how high he was that the wind got a little unstable right as we were in position. And as the wind starting to change, he ended up smelling us. And then that was over. And then we had, you know, probably at least 45 minutes to an hour to get down, back down to uh, the truck, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, took a, it was us a, a long hike. And uh, so then we went back to bull number one. And sure enough perfect you know this is something i've done with mule deer so many times and it's something that people make as a mistake with mule deer all the time is they see the mule deer up right at first light and they want to go on a stalk right away while the mule deer are moving and a lot of times you really can't predict what they're going to do and you end up getting yourself in a bind and blowing it whereas if you just be patient keep eyes on them let them get into a place where they're comfortable and they're going to stay for a while then you can calculate a maneuver using wind using terrain and we ended up finding bull number one at like 10 30 or 11 o'clock and we were he actually had moved closer down and was in the one of the only shaded draws and there was a natural little spring there and he was kind of laying by a wallow i didn't know that was there until we got up to him but uh made a stalk got to a fence which prevented us from getting to we were lucky that he wasn't you know if he would have been another 30 yards from from the cattle fence uh we would have been stuck because th it was like a six or a seven wire cattle fence and there wasn't anywhere where we could get through it, and it was real squeaky. Yeah. So every time we tried to bend the wire to, like, even if you leaned on it, it would squeak, and you could see the bull would look our way. He was bedded under a big oak tree. He had four or five cows. There was a satellite bull with him, and it was the middle of the day. It was, like, noon, and we, what was it, about two hours we sat and waited. Yeah, two and a half hours. We waited for two and a half hours for him. He stood up one time, and this is another thing that, that you should always keep in mind. A lot of times animals are going to bed, and they're going to bed in the shade. You know, they don't want to be super hot, especially when water is very limited, which it is here in Northern California, or at least this part of California. It's limited. And I told Joe we are actually in a position where uh, we had a range. It was probably at the upper end of what either one of us would feel comfortable on a bull elk and granted 
shots are longer out here people this is the open west hunting like people out here realize that shots are going to be longer so if you're a whitetail person that's used to a 40 yard shot being a long shot that's just out here in open country people are used to a little bit longer shots and as the sun got on that bull i told you i said he's starting to he's starting to move his legs around he's kind of picking his head up he's moving his head around i said he's going to stand up and then within a few minutes he stood up and could you not was there some there was there was some trees that were kind of in the way some branches that made me uncomfortable it wasn't wasn't a perfectly clear shot and by the time uh i had sort of figured that he was in an open spot he started to move away and so then he bedded down again and so then we decided to just wait him out and so we waited him out for a long time and yeah, it was a long time. And it was a long time, just standing out there waiting. We repositioned. You had a good range. Um, we actually talked through several things to just keep in mind. Shot Thi- sequence. Shot sequence. You know, I, as a coach, I was repeating things to Joe that I wanted to make sure that he thought about. Um, and... I could tell when he stood up that second time, um, I looked over at you and I could see you were a hundred percent in shot sequence mode. I could tell you were you were checking things off in your mind. You looked at your broadhead, you made sure that you didn't have any like obstructions on your broadhead, you turned your bow upright, you kinda I seen you kinda bear down on your safety on your silver back. And you raised up, and I saw you start to pull your bow back, and I thought, okay, here we go. And then I actually heard you let off your safety, and then it was probably four or five seconds of just slow, continual pulling and when that shot broke. Yeah, well, the good thing was that, in the f- that it took so long for him to stand up is that I got a chance to really go over my mental checklist and and calm my mind down. Because it was a 75-yard shot, and it's a big elk. I mean, he was huge. It was the biggest elk I'd ever seen. And I didn't want to blow it. And so, you know, th- your brain starts playing little tricks on you, and it starts saying, man, do you really want to take this shot? Can you make this shot? Is this smart? Should we do this? There's all these little things that go on in your brain, but I have an elk target in my backyard that's smaller than this elk, and that's at 85 yards and I practice it at 85 I practice it at 75 I practice it at 65 when he stood up and it was at 75 yards I knew I could make the shot once he stood up I had got myself into a real good mental state it gave me plenty of time to to calm down all the chatter and just and completely talk myself into a state of total confidence the weird thing was I was way more nervous at the beginning than I was before I made the shot. When we first started stalking in on him, I was like, wow, that is a big elk. And when you see an elk that big, you start thinking, man, I don't want to blow this. That, this is the biggest elk I've ever seen. He was huge, and the antlers were giant. And I'm looking at this body on this thing. I mean, it's a big animal. And I'm like, I don't want to blow this. So I was a little nervous in the beginning, which is probably one of the reasons why I didn't rush to take that first shot when he stood up. I just wanted to be really cautious. But during the time that he bedded down again and I got a chance to think and 
by the time he stood up, I was completely calm. I was only going over my shot sequence. That's all I was doing. I was just, I said to myself, I make this shot all the time. I know I can, he's a big animal. I know I can shoot that shot at 75 yards. I was 100% confident. And so when I actually drew back and had my finger on the, the thumb on the safety and centered my peep and uh, centered my bubble and had my elbow up high and was pulling with my back muscles, I was doing everything according to your teaching, 100%. That's all I was thinking of. All I was thinking of was the shot sequence. And when that arrow went off and slammed right into the boiler room at 75 yards and we got it on film... I mean, it's like the greatest shot I've ever pulled off in my <laughs> life. To watch that arrow fly across that ravine and slam right into his heart at 75 yards. And he didn't go anywhere. Maybe he, three to four yards. He just stepped a couple steps, wobbled, blood was spraying out of his heart, and he just tipped over, legs up in the air, tried to get up for a couple seconds and then that was a wrap <laughs> that was a wrap done it was crazy and that tripan cut a canal through his heart i mean it was a giant wound well there was a big difference between what was going through your head at the beginning versus what was going through your head the second time some of the things that you were you know you had seeds of doubt and that's People make those mistakes. You know, a big part of buck fever is when you start thinking about how big it is mm -hmm. and how you're going to feel if you blow it. Yep. Like those are yep. negative, those are negative thoughts that also trigger, they, you know, they trigger adrenaline. Mm -hmm. You know, those will trigger a faster heartbeat. They're going to trigger an accelerated pulse and you want to, you want to eliminate all that. You don't want to trigger it. So by literally telling yourself, I make this shot all the time. This, it's actually bigger than what I shoot normally. All I have to do is go through exactly what I do every day when I prep. And this is a done deal. This will be a wrap. You know, it's checkmate. That's when you can get to that phase where you're, you know, you just know, okay, <laughs> this is a game over now. I'm I'm right where I'm comfortable. This is a done deal. And one thing I want to add is Joe and I have been on hunts where there's been shots, even shots closer than that, where Joe will look at me and I'll just say, this isn't a, sh this isn't a shot we want to take in utah yeah well, there it was too much wind and he was much closer it was like 60 yards and the wind was crazy it was it, it was it was not predictable it was going left and right it was all over the place and just the behavior of the animals like the the cows that came in the satellite bulls we saw earlier everything yeah. everything was a little twitchy because there was so much stuff in the timber just moving around because of the wind that things were on edge because they knew they didn't really have one of their senses to fall back on. Whereas today, this bull, and last night we actually had a shot too where I said, it's late, it's kind of dark yet, 
you know it's a little bit of a downhill we don't know if there's branches hanging let's just let's pass on this let's pass let's come back in the morning and today that bull was bedded had no idea we were there the wind was at times non-existent it was variable at times it would blow maybe four or five mile an hour at the most then it would be calm we actually moved when aircraft would be inbound we'd use the sound of aircraft flying over to like maneuver through that dry grass as cover sound and when he stood up the first time i mean he looked like he w he's been rutting for a month he was there with his cows but everything was just like well he slept i looked at his eyes closed for 30 to 40 minutes and at one time he put his head on the ground i mean he laid his rack on the ground yeah. he was that tired and i was just sitting there saying this is a perfectly perfectly fine shot there's nothing wrong with this shot he's he won't even know where he has no idea we're here he's not on edge i don't even think he's going to know what this sound is and he didn't he, they had no idea like when you shot a couple of the cows never even stood up out of their beds when the bull hit the ground the cows were like, what the heck? What happened? Well, the, the bow is very quiet, too. You know, that RX-1 is very quiet, and um, I'm shooting that heavy arrow, 535 grains. Yeah, that's a big part of it, too. Some people that say the, um, the RX-1 has a little more noise than previous models, you do have to factor in what you're shooting through it. You know, Joe's shooting a, um, let's see, you're shooting a knock-on... FMJ with 50 grains of brass and then you are shooting a tri rage tripan you did go to the four fletch this year yeah um, and I love it and the other thing too is uh, you know one of the benefits to shooting heavier poundage Joe does shoot heavier poundage there's more tension on your string so your string doesn't oscillate as much you know there isn't as much residual vibration through the bow because the string has a lot of pressure on it you know it's it's got more pressure on it than a 70 pound bow and then you're shooting a very heavy arrow and that thing even at that distance just detonated that sucker yeah and they had no idea what was going on he didn't know what happened he was hit and then just toppled over and it wasn't until he toppled over, the, the cows didn't even know what was happening. The, when he toppled over, they were like, something's wrong. Let's get out of here. And I actually didn't know. At, for a second, I questioned, did I actually hear? There was so much. It was so bright out. There was a lot of sun on my screen. The only thing I could see on my video camera screen was actually his rack because it was so dark. I could see the rack, and I could see a little shine on the top of his back. That's how I knew I had him in frame. But I couldn't see the arrow hit. It, but the sound was definitely okay. He he hit. It sounded good. It didn't sound like a hollow tube, and it didn't sound like a leg bone. It sounded like a rage opening in the cavity is yeah. what it sounded like. But then when the cows weren't doing anything for that first few seconds... 
I ended up putting the camera down and came over to you like, what happened? And then I heard <laughs> the thud, and you guys just, you're just like, he's down. And I said, what? He's down? And you're like, he's down. I look over, and he was down. Like, that was it. It was the quickest death I've ever seen. <laughs> and was. the quickest, the fact that he didn't go anywhere. I mean, he didn't He didn't run. He took a couple of steps toppled over legs straight up in the air it was crazy it just just exploded his heart what would have been awesome the one thing i wish i came here without um my small allen wrench set because joe's been shooting a too smooth and you were a hundred percent certain you're like dude i'm shooting my bull with this too smooth yeah and I was I was looking forward to seeing that. I wanted to see you smoke that thing with the two smooth. But for your hunting bow that you're hunting with right now, it's just a little bit heavier, and the release is pretty hot. Like I set it up for you to practice at the studio. It's great at the studio. It's just a, just a wee bit hot. Yeah, just a wee bit to the point where I said, you know what? Look, I've been shooting with the Silverback. I shot my Utah Bull with the Silverback. I've been practicing with the Silverback for years now. Let's just go with the Silverback. And I'm, I'm happy I did because it's what I like about the Silverback. One of the reasons why I went with it exclusively after Lanai was that there's no thinking involved about any trigger. It's just the shot process. It's just let off the safety pull with my back, concentrate on my, you know, all, all the, the, the different steps, making sure that the, the the bubble's level, making sure that my peep is centered on the site housing, that everything's perfect. And then I just go pull through the shot. I, I like that. I think that's better. I just really do. I mean, I can shoot. I shot my Utah Bull last year with a thumb trigger, and I shot it with back tension, and it was a surprise shot, and I definitely could do that. And I shot those two uh, Axis deer in Lanai the same way. But the reality is there's an extra 10% of my brain that's focused on making sure I don't punch that trigger. And when I use the Silverback, that's a non-issue. It's nothing. There's nothing there. It's just making sure my elbow's up high, making sure I'm pulling with my back muscles, making sure that it just I'm just doing everything correct. We had... Our guide Steve. Um, shout we had out a Steve Ryan. Yeah, shout out. We have we had a conversation with Steve about this pretty much this subject. I gave him a silverback two years ago when Joe and I were here hog hunting, and he, you know, kind of mentioned to us. He said, "Well, I'm still I'm still struggling with target panic, and you know, I practiced some with the silverback, but then you know." When I go out hunting, I, I have my 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 wrist strap, my little goose. And he's like, you know, and I just... Well, he told us a story about this muley he missed, like, several times, wasn't it? Yeah, A couple different times. Twice, yeah. And, you know, he pretty much told us that he, he was hitting the trigger as he was coming down on the animal and never even was able to uh, to really acquire the target and then pull on the trigger while his pin was on the target and it's a common thing i mean and well, he i said he also also had a problem with the silverback remember because he said he tried to make it go off real quick yeah that's right yeah he said you know he said he he let off and then i think he said 
once he let off the safety, he punched the safety thinking it was a trigger. No, I think he yanked on it. Like he tried to get it to go off real quick because the the deer offered him a, a real quick shot. Yeah. And in yanking on it, I mean his his silverback is not set hot. So yeah. he had to put some pressure on it. He probably used his arm instead of his back and he said he airballed it. Yeah. And I told him I think he said something like I want to be able to just practice with my silverback but then yeah. I want to be able to make that same shot with my wrist strap while I'm hunting. And I forgot how he said it, but however he said it, I told him, I said, part of your problem is you're not wanting, you're still wanting control of your shot. And that's one of the biggest obstacles of target panic is getting to the point where you realize I'm here to make a good shot. I'm not here to make the shot go off when I want to. And when people are unwilling to give control to a process, it's a very, very frustrating place to be in because target anticipation just lives in that realm of your mind and it thrives there. And it thrives on you having doubt and you wanting to be able to have control. Like, you have to take all of its power away and not give it control and not give your index finger control. Because if you do, it wins. Like I told you today, I said, I think your index finger has an automatic default over your brain. Like, sometimes your index finger might do what your brain tells it to do, but it also has the ability to say, no, I'm going to do what I want. And it has seniority like it it seems like if your index finger wants to do something even if your brain's kind of not wanting it to do it it'll do it which is why i really like you know one i like removing the index finger which has so much sensitivity and going to a finger that doesn't have so much sensitivity and even better than that is when you're shooting a silverback or a two smooth None of the fingers are on the trigger. You don't have a finger on a trigger. And that's one of the things that makes target panic easier to get over with one of those two releases. Yeah, you can't just make it go off. But you can make it go off quick enough to make a good shot. I agree. When you master it, you can control the speed very closely maybe not exactly precise like a someone that's punching it but you could definitely if you do it enough this is one thing that i tell people that it takes experience in reps like what joe was saying there's 10 percent of his mind with a trigger release that thinks about how much pressure should i have on the trigger if i yeah. don't have enough this shot might take longer like, yeah. that's something that comes with a lot of practice and not changing your release and really understanding it. It comes from a lot of time doing it. It's finesse. It's a finesse that is definitely only earned. You can't buy that. And when you're going to a tension release, it's better because you're just pulling through but in saying that, you could also, with time, you can learn, I call it preloading, you can really learn how much tension you actually have on the back wall of that cam or how far you've moved 
through your moons like on like a two smooth you can learn how much movement you've had before you start that pull and you can change the speed of your shot just based off your preload but it it definitely comes with experience but i think with a trigger release a thumb trigger i think you have a little bit more control but you also have you also have to have way more understanding of finesse so it's they're just give or takes to those three releases and that's why they're all so good is they all teach they all teach a different aspect of really really perfecting an archery shot i think that people who struggle with target panic though when they have that thumb release and there was guys that i saw in utah that were using um the knock to it that were still punching it yeah and i i talked to him i was like you know you're hitting that trigger and you most know, they, people know They're they like, kind of yeah, know, know but it's like you know i'm just this is how i do it like okay you, you know i mean i i listen to you man I mean, one thing that I'm really good at is taking advice. I'm really good at taking instruction from someone who's really good. I, that's that's how you get good at things. You listen to people who who know what they're talking about, and just when they tell you how to do things, you follow instruction, and that's how you get better. That's how that's how it is with martial arts. That's how it is with archery. I think that's pr- probably how it is with almost any discipline in life. You, you got to listen to people that really know what they're talking about. But there's that discomfort factor of taking away the, the ability to punch the trigger, to make it go off. And I've heard, like, really good bow hunters say this, that I just sometimes I want to be able to make it go off when I need it to go off. Tell me when that's ever good. When is that ever good? When, when do you ever need to make it go off? Unless the, the animal's 20 yards away and there's like a tiny little window and, you know, you could punch that trigger and get away with it because it's such a short shot. Maybe. Maybe then. Yeah, maybe then. But when it's a 75-yard shot, it, what you might flinch. Yeah. You might move a little. You might anticipate just a little bit. And that anticipation just a little bit, you might... It's magnified. Might, yeah, you obviously. might hit it in the spine. You might hit it in the shoulder bone. You might hit it somewhere else. You, you're definitely at a high risk of not hitting it where you want it to hit it, and that's unacceptable to me. I don't. I don't want that. I, I want it. I want to be able to do what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to execute a perfect shot, and that is uh, to me. That's that's what this whole thing is all about. You know, this whole thing is all about making sure that I'm in control of the shot sequence and that I'm doing everything with proper technique and that in a very, very high-pressure situation like today. I mean, today was about as... uh, It was proof of concept. It was proof that your teaching is correct, that your technique is correct, and that all the hours that you've spent teaching me and coaching me it paid off. I, I listened. I, I did exactly what you tell me to do. And I made a perfect shot. I couldn't have made a better shot. It's not, it's not humanly possible. I mean, it was everything. It was right, right next to the leg. Right into the heart. It was perfect. Yeah, it was. And it was a long shot on the biggest elk I've ever seen in my life. Well, one of the things you said... It relates to two different topics. 
I I understand when people when people make arguments of things, a lot of times I see their side. But I also see their side and think, yeah, I, s- I understand what you're saying, but I also weigh it out. Like, you have to weigh out pros and cons. With any decision you make in life, you always have to, you know, s- look at the pros, look at the cons, and, and decide how that scale tips. When it comes to a fixed blade versus a mechanical, because it took for several years you and I had the same conversation and I get it when you're like I don't know I'm not sure if I'm shooting expandable and I hit a big arm or leg on an elk I don't know if having that expandable I'm going to get the penetration as if I was shooting you know a hard cut on contact fixed blade head and I said yeah you're right I mean I see what you're saying you're right you know, the blades are behind the front of the ferrule. They do have to open. But I did tell you, I said, okay, what is the percentage of the overall body of you impacting that area? And it's smaller than the entire rest of the mass. Like, you know, you're looking at like 5% or maybe 8% versus 92%. And the favor... If you hit it anywhere else other than that leg, I think you would say uh, these tripans give you an advantage. If you hit it way back, if you hit it in the guts, if you hit it in in the ass, if you hit it, even if you were to hit it through the neck or something, like that, that cutting area is going to help you. It will help you on a on a marginal hit. Now, when it comes to people saying, "Well, you know, if a whitetail comes running in and stops, and it's on a doe, and it's only there a second, I need to be able to make the shot happen." Hey, I get it, I get it. But how many times is that your shot? Like that's how I look at it. Is okay. You're right. If that happens and you're having to let off the safety and pull through. You know, technically, I would say you're rolling the dice on your shot anyway. But if you get to the point where you're punching the trigger, then I would say if you're punching the trigger because you're wanting to force shots like that all the time, that's not good. Like, you want to, I would rather you miss that one opportunity and then have four shots in a food plot and four other shots in a timber where you're just making good solid shots and you're not trying to force it through one little gap at a certain exact time i mean yeah no i think that's a perfect parallel and i I think you you're definitely onto something but i think one thing that i would add is that the tripans they improved that little uh piece of plastic that holds it in place the collar collar, they improved that collar and that was one of the issues that i had the collar was deploying a little bit too easy and the, the new collars are way better and I have more, much more confidence in them now. And also, I've seen what those tripans do. They they are so durable. I mean, the 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 thing that people worry about with expandables is them deploying accidentally. I think they fix that, and then they worry about the durability. Man, I've hit two elk with those things, and I've hit bone with them, and they don't even look like they've been hit. I mean, the, those, the tripans look like the one that I shot this elk with, it went through the heart, slammed into the far side shoulder, 
or the far side leg bone, and it looks like you could just use it again. <laughs> it's I ran my finger across it, and I actually cut into my finger. And the to tip, I don't know what they're making the tip out of. It's well, titanium. It's well, it's strong as hell. Because <laughs> it's crazy. Because yeah. it's it's slammed into that bone and stuck into it, and it doesn't even look dented. Yeah, we had to pull the arrow out once. Yeah. Once we actually broke the bull down. Yeah, it was stuck into the leg bone on the far side, and you know it had gone right through the body and just devastated that elk. Obviously, it just died quicker than anything I've ever shot ever. Ever. It went nowhere. Uh, everything runs a little. That thing didn't go anywhere. It really didn't. And the wound, the giant hole in the entrance wound, we <laughs> took a photo of it, it's enormous. Yeah. The entrance wound is because it, it's not just a two-inch cutting surface. It stretches the skin on the way in. So yeah, it's bigger bigger it's going in yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like three inches. And it's then massive. The, and the hole in the heart, oh, my God, it's enormous. It was four, I bet. It, it was enormous. It seemed like it the was The hole huge. was enormous, and the devastation was instantaneous. I'm a big believer in those tripans. I'm not using anything else. One of the things that I worked with Joe on, um, because, you know, we've both been in, he's been in work mode, obviously. He's been doing his comedy tour like crazy, among other things. But uh, he's been in work mode, and then we got ready for hunting season. We were, bo- you know, you got ready on your own because I was in the middle of it. So I didn't really, I haven't really got to, analyze you shooting in a while normally we always meet up in the winter we shoot some in vegas at a ufc we're able to talk a little bit about it but we really hadn't been able to do that and the last time when i shot at the range when we podcasted um you had mcgregor's coach in right after me so we weren't able to shoot together i shot by myself yeah so when you got here i just spent time just watching you shoot and I identified a few things right away that I wanted Joe to focus on. And these are things that pe- that I've done and I'll probably do again at some point. And people just continually do. Um, but one of the things was, you know, he started just getting a little bit heavier on his facial pressure <coughs> on the string. You know, he was really wanting to get his anchor solid. And he was wanting to look through his peep well. And he had more pressure on his face than what is normal uh at least how i taught him and then the other thing was the string started becoming on the side of the nose and i really like the string on the front of the nose because when it's on the front of the nose it's an it's an identifier that your string pressure is minimal and so i told joe um make sure i want I want a light anchor, and I want nose on the front of the string. And as soon as we did that, your lefts and rights changed, like, instantly. Your lefts and rights were cleaned up real quick. And then um, even your... uh, The other thing was uh, I told you to... um, I want you to, to follow through and let us tell you where the arrow hits. Don't try to watch the arrow. Because in practice, a few times... Um, you know, you were wanting to see where you're hitting the target, and I saw that you were just kind of dropping your release hand and your bow to like watch the arrow, and your arrow, you know, you were hitting lower than what you should, 
and you also were hitting left when you had more facial pressure so literally those two little things that i told you how much did they change impact everything instantly instantly and so i gave you those things to think about you know when we got close to that bowl you know i kept looking at you and i'm like finger on the safety light on the pressure string on the front of the nose pull through and we'll tell you where it hits and man when that perfect when that thing went off it was yeah and sometimes you just need just to reminders that's with everything anything yeah martial arts it's a big thing like you see sometimes someone's dropping their hand when they throw a punch they need to know like don't drop your left when you throw your right you know make sure you don't open your stance up make sure you don't do this make sure you don't leave yourself open for a counter make sure and you already know those things but you need to hear them sometimes because there's so much information and one of the things about archery is it's it seems simple to someone looking on the outside it's very complex when you're executing there's so many different factors and then when you're executing on an animal it's way more complex because you have all the nerves involved. There's so, there's so many different things that are happening. And then that's also where practice comes into play. And that martial arts, is, it's the same way. If you practice the way you're supposed to, if you put in the time that you're supposed to put in, then you can always say, I've put in the hours. I know I have. And I, I'll have confidence because of that. And that's the same thing that happened when I went to shoot that ball. It's like, I know I can make this shot. I've made this shot many, 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 many times. Hundreds of times a week. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. when I've seen you shoot at the house, I would say you shoot further than that at the elk target. And for almost every time we've shot at the house, I'm done. I'm like, dude. I'm just going to watch because I'm done. And you just start getting, like, you get loosened up about the time I'm ready to be done. You shoot a lot. Yeah, I shoot a lot. I get get obsessive. I mean, mean, it's, uh, you know, it's like everything else in my crazy life. I just, when something becomes something that I focus on, and I think that's one of the things that is so attractive to me about archery is that it's so difficult. And it's such a it's such a mental discipline as well as a physical discipline. There's so many different factors involved, and you have to hone into all of them to execute properly. And when you do, it's incredibly satisfying. And I've made some satisfying shots, but today was the most satisfying shot ever. Hundred <laughs> percent, no doubt. You were in it. shock for a while. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, you were in shock for a while. You're just like, did that really happen? You're like, did what? Yeah. <laughs> you were looking around like, what oh, happened? How did that happen? And did that just happen? Because, like, when we were, like, loading the bull onto the truck, I was like, did that just happen? <laughs> I'll have to look over. And he's got, like, this perfect shot right next to the, you know, right into the crease of the armpit, right in the heart. I'm like, that is bananas. Yep. Like, that's what I was hoping for. In, in While I was shooting, uh, th- like I said, the, the beautiful thing was he gave me a lot of time, hours, to let my mental chatter go away completely. Because he was bedded, I just talked myself into a state of confidence. And that patience came from time. Yeah. Two years ago, you would have had a very... I would have had to have been standing on your back, pulling <laughs> back on your <laughs> reins <laughs> to make you wait. Yeah, probably. I was yeah, like, I dude... I would try to shoot him when he's bedded. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. everything's in your favor. 
Just hang tight. Yeah. And at one point I said, hey, I'm comfortable with this shot. He was bedded, but he actually wanted to get his feet out from under him, so he rolled over. He actually stood up almost in a bed. Like, he Mm -hmm. propped up, and it looked like a bedded elk target. And I said, this is a good shot if you want it. And you just said, no, dude, I'm going to wait. One of the things that's really awesome about practice is when you're really practicing, it allows certain aspects of what you're doing to become second nature but it it also when those when certain aspects become second nature it also gives you more time to work on certain flaws and i have flaws too there's times where i get loose and when i get loose i just have to video myself and i go back and watch it and i just watch the video and i start saying okay yeah i mean third fourth arrow in i'm getting weak my elbow my rear elbow starts getting down i'm pulling more down than through like you really focused on lifting your elbow up coyote right there like literally right there right there walking down the pavement in la um (laughs) for someone's cat (laughs) yeah or your chicken (laughs) yeah but uh, no, that's all the that's all the stuff that's super important, and it's one of the worst things about what I'm passionate about and what I don't like is not being able to. I wish all of you out there could just patch into a certain aspect of my you know cerebral brain that would just tell you things that I know about watching you shoot without me having to actually like answer the call. Because if I could do that, I guarantee you I would. You just yeah, be like, right. you'd be like, yeah, hey, like I'm gonna download this. Ad- yeah, if there, if I had like a Jarvis, that was just <laughs> people could just download in and and video them shooting, and they could and he could just take my knowledge that's in there and just throw it out to you. I would a hundred percent give you access to that. But the problem is, and this is, I guess, one thing I've got to say too. If you ever have a question that's like knock on archery store related, don't send it to my to my private messages on Instagram because if you do it might be a month before I see it because there's hundreds a day and I just can't depending on when I open it up and look I do try to answer a few a day but it's it's all it's not possible it's not possible you have what you have like a hundred and something thousand 150,000 Instagram followers (laughs) it's just it's a lot I can't do it like 20,000 and then you get messages, especially someone like you who teaches things. Like, good luck. Yeah, because my answers aren't always like, you're not asking me super easy questions right. like, hey, is this yet? None of your stuff is yes or no. You're not saying green or red. You guys are saying, no one's saying, I want nocturnal knocks, should I get green or red? Like, <laughs> I could probably bang through 100 of those. Right. But when you're saying, can you look at what I'm doing? It's mm. That's a complex answer. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that... There's not a lot of great coaching out there. You know, it's it's hard to find. And it's if you're in a place that doesn't have a good archery shop, it's really hard to find. Yeah, and it e- is. Sometimes even if you find a place that has a good archery shop, you might not still be getting good coaching. You might be getting bad advice at a good place. That's a fact. Yep. I've yeah. seen it. I've, I've seen, seen it. it. Yeah, I've seen it too. It's uh. it's rough. You know, it's it's hard. It's hard out there for people that are trying to learn. You know, like what you're doing with with Knock On, with your podcast and with your videos. And, 
uh, all the, the various methods that you're using to teach people archery, you're changing bow hunting for a lot of people. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I see now that are using a knock to it or using a silver back. And it's it's really a, an amazing service that you're providing. It really is. It's incredible. I'm just very fortunate that we're such good friends that I can, you know, get this kind of coaching from you. And without a doubt, I never would have been able to make that kind of a shot like I made today without your coaching. It was rewarding to see. Yeah, it's a perfect, it's actually a perfect team with everything that's going on right now and Sharon being able to support the things and the products that I'm doing by, you know, knock on archery.com would never, I would never have done that. That there's no way I would have the time to do that. Everything that's been brought to life there is, you know, my partner in crime, Sharon, she'll tell me, Hey, you're talking about this. You know, why don't you do something like that that, that could help people? And then that's kind of how it, it all transpires yeah you got a great thing going on man you really do yeah and it it's well there's no way one person can do it you know that like you have to have a team you have to have a team of the right people otherwise it's just really really difficult um well we're getting close to home yeah i'm almost we're almost at my house so let's wrap this up everybody we kind of just gave you there's some info in there little tidbits for people but uh overall that was how the the hunt unfolded i'll probably do a quick little um short film everything happened so fast it's not going to be like a full episode because i didn't honestly when i'm hunting with friends i don't it was a friend hunt i mean i videoed it because i you know I want me and you to be able to look back at it. Thankfully, we did because it was so awesome. Yeah. Even if we never put it out there, we would probably play that on our phones. Like every time we had dinner <laughs> with a new friend, we'd be like, check this out. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So I'll put it out there. Um, and I think all you guys are going to, and gals, are going to love it. It was really, really a perfect shot. It was super rewarding as someone that works with another person and has been there through some coaching. It's like, man, that is everything I could ask for to a T. And then, obviously, getting to grab that thing and smile by it was just rewarding in itself. I was pumped. We actually had a tra- a brand new Traeger we were going to put together and cook on at camp this week. And we were going to do it today in the middle of the day during the lull. We were going to build that grill. And... We're literally going to be using your grill at your house. <laughs> 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 because yeah, we, we were too successful. I know. It's a kind of a bummer problem, but I don't feel bad. We've I don't feel bad either. I actually needed <laughs> I need some rest. Yeah. My hammies, calves, and lower back are just squealing right now. They're like, man, please sit in a tree stand for 10 hours and just let us rest. <laughs> 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 All right, everybody. Well, appreciate it, and uh, make sure if you haven't, Check out Joe's special on Netflix. It's hilarious. I've seen it a few times. Well, I saw it live a few times and laughed every time. And, uh, yeah, Joe got his, his um, I think you have your official face paint design, your vegan cat. <laughs> yeah, Joe's got a new T-shirt <laughs> coming out called Hashtag Vegan Cat. And it's a... Uh, it's a pretty cool... It's uh, a cartoon cat with those cartoon X's for eyes, like <laughs> dead things having cartoons. <laughs> so I did the uh, the dead cat X's on Joe's cheeks for his face paint, and uh, it looked 
It looked funny. It so might be a good luck charm now. I'd say it is. I yeah, everyone has their signature on. little design. That's I think that's yours. You gotta <laughs> you own it. So, <laughs> all right, knock on everybody. Knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>